1: Welcome one, welcome all. It is volume five of the NFC East mixtape product that is presented to you in partnership with and the Boys, with Bleeding Green Nation. You can listen to us on both podcast feeds. Make sure you subscribe, leave a rating, write a review. You can always tell us what you're thinking. I am R.J. Ochoa from and the Boys. He is Brandon Lee Gowden from Bleeding Green Nation. BLG,
2: how goes it? R.J., excited to be here with you as always, but even more excited because we have a special guest.
1: We do have a very special guest. We have ventured out into the ocean that is the NFC East. Uh, really, uh, what the, the earth is like 70% water, right? Well, the NFL is like 70% NFC East. And so to discuss that, we have brought in the one, the only, the legendary, the iconic, internationally famous, uh, known all over the world, all over the galaxy, multiple galaxies at that from HogsHaven.com. Brian Stabby. Brian, how goes it? Oh, wow
3: that's uh a lot to have to live up to um fine but uh let's let's temper some expectations a little bit there maybe just one galaxy
1: do you well what's your favorite galaxy while we're on the subject Ooh. what kind of question is this
3: <laughs> no that's a good one um i'm gonna go ahead and say th- this one but mm-hmm. you know it's I'm still, you know i need to do the research on my own i need to make sure mm-hmm. like i'm I I like being informed before answering questions of this nature, but uh, I appreciate the ask.
1: Sure. Sure. Uh, Well, we uh, want all of the informing. um, I guess you're an informant in this capacity on the Washington football team. We've already had Ed Valentine from big blue view on, but the giants are terrible. Everybody knows that Uh, Ed's great, but uh, Washington is at least somewhat respectable. uh, The most respectable of all the NFC East teams at the moment. BLG is high on the Washington football team right now. I don't know if you've seen this, Brian, but in his latest edition of Power Rankings, he has them as the 10th best team in the entire National Football League. Uh, so, BLG, I'll, I'll let you start here because you were the one who was super pumped to talk uh, some WFT.
2: I mean high is relative. I mean 10 in the in the power rankings sure. That's been, high.
1: That's really high.
2: Yeah. I that's mean, really I have them going 9 and 8 in my prediction. I just it just felt right to me. But I mean, here again, here's the thing. I talked about this with stats on the the podcast. Like power rankings, it's not just about like to me at least, like the gap from, you know, 1 to 2 isn't necessarily as big as the gap from like 9 to 10. You know, there's different tiers within the power rankings and you could talk me into putting Washington like 13th and I don't see that as really a big difference from 10. Um, just for example. So anyway, getting off of that, though, what was really interesting to me um, about, because not only did I do power rankings for bleedingyournation.com, within those power rankings, I included the amount of games each team is favored to win this year based on the early, uh, I think it was what, like a Westgate sportsbook odds from Las Vegas and Washington, only three, three, three games for a team that won the division last year. Uh, so I just think it's interesting. Uh, Brian, why don't you give us like your kind of overall feel about the Washington football team as we sit here on May 19th. Yeah, um I think with when you look at this
3: team, uh they in some in a lot of ways have like earned the benefit of the doubt based on what we saw from them last year. And that's not something that Washington has really done a lot of in the last, we'll call it two decades. Um you know, the results when you look back a year ago, um you know, courtesy of some from some help in the final week of the season, and we don't have to dig up uh, old bodies there to discuss quarterback decisions in the final week of seasons. But I mean, for Washington, I think they—I um, don't know that they got markedly better, but I think there was a trend in the division where a lot of teams, Washington included, addressed needs to plug holes. So where I I think Washington holds serve going into this season until they have proven otherwise. I I don't know that I'm not going to go out there and look through the schedule, go game by game and say, Oh yeah, like this is a 12 win team. Like it's, it's not at this point. Um, I would be very surprised if much like you, I think if any team in the division won double digits, even with the extra game there, I haven't seen enough to say like that, there's a repeat coming for sure, but, you know, to be favored in three games, that's tough. That's a, that's a tough one. Um, Clearly not everybody is subscribing to the benefit of the doubt uh, ideology here, but you know, Washington had needs in free agency. They had needs in the draft. They plugged holes that needed plugging by and large. And I will be extremely interested to see if guys who performed above the caliber that I think they would normally do it again next year and whether or not the guys that they brought in are able to actually be upgrades on the ones who they've jettisoned.
1: So Brian, I'll be honest with you. I am super low on Washington. Like (laughs) I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum from BLG, which is why we're really excited to talk to you. Um, I mean, I know I'm not to like dig up the the body. Like, I don't think any of us want to dig up the 2020 NFC East. Um, Like, that body is like decomposed. And um, I mean, I'm not like whatever. That's a weird tangent. But anyway, um, this is (laughs) a over here. Yeah, this is a team that won seven games last year. Right, four of which were within the crappy division that we all know and love. Um, They swept the Cowboys and did not play Dak Prescott either of those times. I believe they've only defeated Dak Prescott once so far in Dak's career, uh, which was the infamous um, snap infraction that LP Leitester had in 2018. Um, and, and so, yes, they beat the Eagles in week one, which I think is notable. I don't want to take anything away from that. But the the second Eagles win is, is tough to tough to grade, tough to qualify for obvious reasons. And I I, while I'm down on Washington, I certainly think they're a much better football team than either Philadelphia or New York. I think New York, I've told BLG, the only team in the entire conference that I'm 100% confident will be worse than the Giants is the Detroit Lions. And so that being said, the Giants swept Washington last year. Um, And if you look at the three non-divisional wins for Washington last year, uh, Pittsburgh was a really, really loud win. And I think a lot of, it had to do with the fact that that game had gotten rescheduled due to COVID. And I know that, like, it didn't take place on a national stage, but it was the only game on in that moment. So a lot of people were tracking it and really impressed by it. And I don't want to take anything away from that either. Uh, they beat Cincinnati. And I think people take away from that by saying Joe Burrow was knocked out. I think Washington wins that game no matter what. And then they beat Nick Mullins's 49ers. Like, I, I to me, I just don't see why they've earned to, to have the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't see where they've earned that. I guess, can you explain where you think they've earned that? Yeah,
3: sure. And, you know, those are all fair and salient points, but if you go back and also look a little deeper at some of the losses that Washington had, they had kind of that stretch between weeks two and six where they lose to the giants by one point because they have Kyle Allen, who doesn't have the ability to like take off and run on a two point conversion. Um, They lose to, I mean, the LA game, they got blown out Baltimore. They kind of hung with, Um, but there were a lot of games. I mean, I think after that, the giant, one of the giants losses was by three out of the bye week the loss to the lions was by three. They lose to Seattle by five in week 15 and they lose to Carolina by a touchdown. So, you know, like, I don't want to be like, Oh, it's a game of inches. But at mm-hmm. the same time, you know, it kind of, if you're going to ding them for, for bad wins, you can sort of look at the flip side of that coin and say, okay, well, there were a couple of games where truly, I mean, even in the first giants game, it was either he runs for the pylon and scores the two point conversion and they win. Right. Or it doesn't. And that's a whole win on the schedule. It means a lot. The NFL, you know, because of how the schedule is structured, a win means more in the NFL than it does in any other league, and any other sport. So, you know, maybe I will say it's a game of inches, that it it was close enough that maybe you take away some of those
2: those ugly wins, but you can swap them out for losses that were close. My argument here for Washington, and RJ wanted me to write this up for com. <laughs> for his post is that like I just like how and I think it kind of speaks to your thing about benefit of the doubt Brian is I feel like I just have a higher level of trust in Ron Rivera than I do Mike McCarthy I think there's a significant gap there I do not give Mike McCarthy the benefit of the doubt at all I think you look at how head coaches lead their teams in the face of adversity and I think that's extremely important because more often than not adversity is going to hit you're not going to have the perfect season sometimes you are sometimes you know, Nick Foles comes in and he goes 27 and two, or like, you know, sometimes things are just rolling your way. The Eagles also like, didn't have any offensive line injuries that year in 2013. Like, Sometimes, yes, things click. I mean, you could say the Bucs last year, they were extremely healthy. There are favorable situations, unquestionably. I think there's a situation where Dallas comes into the year, everything clicks for them, it's going right, and they do great. But more often than not, there's going to be adversity at some point. And I think you look at how the Cowboys handled adversity last year, and I was just not impressed by it. And I think Washington had to deal with way more adversity, and they rose to the challenge better. And I think that speaks to Ron Rivera and the way he's kind of able to hold things together. Multiple starting quarterbacks who were terrible, and like Dwayne Haskins is not even a real player to me in the NFL a viable option, and Rod Rivera is dealing with cancer throughout all this like it's crazy how much adversity they faced, and he's they still you know had them in position to win the division so is that it at all? is like that what gives you the sense of benefit of the doubt is it Rivera and the system and the culture he has put in place?
3: Oh, I mean the turnaround with Rivera happened much faster than I think anyone would have, and I do think that it was all their success is due in no small part part to the culture change that he's looking to implement and looking to influence. And, you know, they made some wacky decisions at times, and people are willing to chalk it up as like, "Oh, Riverboat Ron, there he is, rolling the dice." I actually think he's a little bit more of a conservative coach than people want. Like, it's it's more memeable to call him like a sure. riverboat gambler than it is to. Um, like, you know, again, to bring up that two point conversion attempt instead of playing for overtime, like, Oh, like wacky, wacky Ron, but he, he, right. He, he did do a lot, I think in terms of trying to set the tone, um, part of me, as I was watching him go through sort of the, the cancer treatment, it's like, you know, you don't have to do this, right? Like no one would ding you for, for stepping away. That's a perfectly viable and reasonable thing to do. I mean, he's just he's wired differently, I think. And you know, y- you look at him now sort of with another off-season under his belt, um I like the moves that they've done under him and sort of under his tutelage and he's he got the most out of a lot of guys who otherwise I don't think would have really maximized their potential. I I think a lot about the offensive line last year, which was a huge weakness on paper. But every single one of those guys to a man played to the to their ceiling. That it ended up being I don't want to go so far as to say it was a strength, but it was not the the glaring weakness in the way that you thought it was gonna be with, you know, Trent Williams leaving and just kind of like cobbling together a unit that is so essential, especially given what they had in the backfield, especially a quarterback, um, and having to like you know, you go into the off season, we're sitting here a year ago. It's Dwayne Haskins is your starting quarterback and Darius Geis is your running back. And people are like, okay, like, let's feel it out. Let's see how it goes. And like, very quickly, it fell apart. But if you're going to fail, fail quickly, right? We learned really quickly that Dwayne Haskins was not the guy. Uh, and, you know, it's not an easy thing to move on from, from someone who, just a couple months earlier a couple weeks earlier saying this we're, we're we're building around a guy like this it's it's a tough decision to make and i think he earned a lot of respect by going in that direction it didn't make it any easier but you know as long as he as long as ron rivera is calling the shots and steering the ship i think there's got to be a measure of confidence in terms of what he brings and i'm not going to say that necessarily in comparison to mike mccarthy who i think is a bit of a dingus but I just, it's, I, I, Ron is still definitely in a honeymoon phase. And until something happens to prove otherwise, I think you have to sort of have some faith in
1: his decision-making ability. So if you will both allow me, um, you've both kind of touched on this. Uh, BLG has pounded this drone for a while, and I want to talk about what Washington did in the draft, but now I have to go this direction. And, uh, BLG mentioned the, the post I'm working on. It's the post that this podcast is going to be in at bloggingtheboys.com. BLG has maintained that if you, if you applied some sort of value to every head coach in the NFL and every quarterback in the NFL, that the aggregate of Ron Rivera and Ryan Fitzpatrick would be higher than Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott. Mm -hmm. And so in writing about this, um, I don't know if you saw this, Brian uh, PFF ranked all 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. For the purposes of this discussion, let's just use them because they're a bit impartial as opposed to the three of us. Dak Sorry. Prescott was the seventh-ranked quarterback uh, along this list. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was number 19. Jalen Hurts, number 31, no big deal. Just just putting that on the record so everybody knows the lowest-ranked quarterback in the division. Just Again, just laying out the facts here. So that being said, I took the liberty of listing some coaches in my article that I think are without question above both Mike McCarthy – and Ron Rivera in terms of our present moment here in 2021. The, the coaches I've listed are Bill Belichick, Andy Reid, Pete Carroll, Mike Tomlin, Sean Payton, John Harbaugh, and Bruce Arians. You would both agree that all of these coaches are better than Mike McCarthy and Ron Rivera, correct? Uh, yeah. BLG? Yeah. I don't even give yeah.
3: it a second thought.
1: Sure. Okay. <laughs> now, I added a few coaches that I think the, all of these coaches, by the way, have won Super Bowls. All of these guys have not, um, but are certainly coaches you can make an argument for: Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Sean McDermott, Mike Vrabel, Frank Reich. I know BLG is a little bit low on the Colts, but we would all kind of agree that all of these guys are probably above both Rivera and Mike McCarthy.
2: No, I think Rivera's in that tier of coaches you're talking about there. So even I think if I, he's, I, think in, I do too. I think
1: even I'm, if he's I'm, in this tier, right? Like that puts Rivera around the. 15th or so best coach in the NFL, Like even if you go that far, right? Like if if you want to like put a number on it, right? And so if we take the gap between Dak and Fitzpatrick, which is a gap of 12 spots, are you like, are you really saying Mike McCarthy is the 27th best coach in the NFL, which he would have to be for just this exercise to prove like uh, as a push, you know what I'm saying? Like there's no way that he is that bad of a coach.
2: But once again, it's not like the gap between like 26 and 27 necessarily as big as the gap between 15 and 16. Let's just say, for example, like there's different tiers here. It comes down to a pass or fail for me, honestly, with McCarthy. Sure. And he just does not pass any of like, he just does not pass the sniff test to me, RJ. Like I said this, and again, this is not me like trolling Cowboys fans or anything, which if you're thinking that Cowboys fans, I, it's fair because I do that. But I'm not doing that here. I said this, Mike McCarthy was hired. I was so like unfazed by the Cowboys hiring him. I was like, great, That I don't care about this at all. This is like the perfect Jerry Jones coach. It's more flash than substance. He thinks this is gonna fix everything. It's gonna fix nothing. There were issues last year, early into the season with players criticizing him rj you have read it and i'm sure all the cowboys have fans have read like the bleacher report pieces on him and aaron Rodgers. And now the packers fell apart sure. like, that stuff is like real and that didn't just go away all of a sudden and the cowboys crumbled last year i think in, in very How did many they real ways
1: when they won one less game than the team that we're talking about here in washington like if, if they crumbled like their level of crumble is like infinitesimally closer to washington than it is further away
2: well, they still didn't win like the worst division in the NFL, which is pretty because pathetic. they lost
1: their starting quarter. And I know, again, Washington <laughs> dealt with an enormous amount of circumstances. I'm not I'm not trying to, like, hide from that either. Like, and I think Ron, that's Ron Rivera deserves an enormous amount of credit. Like, I, that's the thing. Like, I'm not trying to say Ron Rivera is one of the worst coaches in the NFL, but I, I think he and Mike McCarthy are relatively close. Like, even if you want to put Rivera above him, which I would disagree with, but the, the Dak Prescott factor makes that combination so much dramatically better.
2: Well, there's an argument there. This is a simple question. Did Ron Rivera give, this is for both you, whatever. Did Ron Rivera give Washington an edge last year? Yes or no?
1: Oh, for sure. Absolutely.
2: But, Did I Mike mean, McCarthy give the Cowboys an edge last year? Yes or no?
1: I think so. And in a different way, because oh, he did no, not oh, like, he, come on. hear me out the and again, the Cowboys only won six games. So there's not a lot to like go off of there. But when they beat Atlanta and this I don't know how much either of you remember, but this was a big subject in Cowboys world when he chose to go for two when they were down early by 14. He went for two uh, early. Relatively speaking, it was the fourth quarter. He went for two and he got killed for this, right? Like, oh, you always make it a one possession game or they're down 15. Excuse me. Um, you always make it a one possession game. This is a really small example. Um, but he went for two, they didn't get it, and people just roasted him, right? Like, this is, this is why you you always kick the extra point, you make it a one-possession game, blah, 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 but the fact that he didn't gave, obviously, the Cowboys the information to know that they needed to hurry up and expedite their overall process. They won that game, granted by the miracle of an incredible mm-hmm. onsite kick, but, like, that in and of itself was an incredible improvement from Jason Garrett's line of thinking. And I don't mean to say that because Mike McCarthy's better than Jason Garrett that that makes him great, but that was an improvement. I mean, if you want to talk, like, nothing comes close to what Ron Rivera dealt with in terms of personal trials and obviously the social challenges surrounding the Washington football team last year, but the Cowboys most impressive performance last season was on the road in Minnesota out of their bot. And speaking of the watermelon kick, you'll remember that he famously smashed watermelons um, in, in the team conference room in the hotel. And it was in that game. Like, I do think he did a great job of establishing buy-in. Like, I don't think he was this oaf that the team was just operating independent of. And that's my mm. point. Like, I think we're I think the criticism of Mike McCarthy is a little bit too loud. And I think we're we're not giving him any credit for any of the gains they had, however minimal they were. I don't know if you agree, Brad.
3: Listen, if you're excited, <laughs> if you're excited that the Cowboys have Mike McCarthy as their coach, then I am excited that the Cowboys have Mike McCarthy as their <laughs> I coach. I will say that when they signed him, I was like, Oh, good. All right. That's one yeah. thing to have to worry about because exactly. I, I just, if you can't put it together, if you can't gel with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who admittedly seems like he may be a little bit difficult personality wise, but like, if you can't win consistently with
1: that, he I, did I was, win consistently with that up I mean, until like, the we'll end. Talk, I'm talking like championships here. Sure. Like, that's obviously
2: they got that's there. fair.
1: They got it's there, an underachiever away the, from
2: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But but now yeah. we're talking about like, is Mike McCarthy great, which is a different conversation versus like, is the combination of him and Dak Prescott better than the combination of Ron Rivera and Ryan Fitzpatrick? Like, Brian, if you're starting random NFL team today and you can have either one of those pairs, which one are you choose? I have to take them as a pair.
2: You have so to take them as a pair. That's not the situation. That's the though. point you've brought up. BLG, that's your. I'm, take. I'm talking specifically in the Washington context here, too, though. Like, I. All right. If you want to answer this question, Brian, go ahead. <laughs>
3: yeah. No, I mean, look, when there was a chance that what, like, there were a lot of people who were like, could Washington go get Dak? And right. everybody's like, kind of like, that's probably not going to happen. But like, would you want them to? It's like, yeah, I think I would. It was going to sure. cost him a lot of money. And Dallas paid a lot of money to get him. Um, He's. Until I, I think he's still got something left to show. And I think I think the Cowboys are going to be better last year this year than they were last year. I mean, they have to be, right? They have to mm-hmm. be. I, I think with the weapons they have at wide receiver, I mean, with Cooper and Lamb and like Michael Gallup is your third guy, at least it slots out on paper. There's tons of targets to be had if, if Dak if Dak doesn't if Dak is able to come back from an injury that used to be kind of a killer, uh, in a way that's has him at 80%. I think they, they immediately take a step up. I think they did a nice job plugging holes in the off season. I think they had a pretty good draft. Micah Parsons was a guy that I really kind of wanted to see in Washington. Um, knew he wasn't going to be there, but was kind of holding out hope that they would do something incredibly like someone with a lot of teams would do something incredibly stupid <laughs> that would allow <laughs> it to happen. And you know, that didn't quite happen, but you know, I think they're unquestionably a better team with him than they are without him. Dak. Um, mike mccarthy i don't know man like if again if 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 you are happy that he's there then i'm happy for you that you're happy that he's there just like i wouldn't want him
2: to be my guy
1: plg i know you're salivating
2: well can we do, can we get to the quarterback side of this because we talked about the coach a lot i feel like we have to get into like fitzpatrick just sure. that's the other element of this and you know again my no one in their right mind at all anywhere is arguing that fitzpatrick is better sure. than deck i just think if Fitzpatrick can get hot which we know he can do and I think being I think playing with the defense he is now I mean is this the best defense he's ever played with and I think that's significant because it allows him to be even more aggressive because it doesn't matter if he's like making mistakes as much because he can just go for it and the defense is going to bail him out uh Brian I want to kind of get your confidence level uh in Ryan Fitzpatrick let's say on a scale of one to ten like being like a viable like playoff contender this year with him leading the way yeah um we'll do like a like upper bound
3: i would say is like a seven or an eight and lower Mm -hmm. bound is like a four or five i think and because he is so hard to know like which one you're going to get on any given day it's not a terribly novel concept to say like they'll only go as far as he can take them i do think that the weapons he has around him you know, if they can sort of play to his strengths and minimize sort of the the wackiness that we see from time to time. I mean, one of the things that I'm most excited about is like he's fun. Like he's <laughs> not, yeah. Like he's like a, a personality, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, like he's fun. I and he's fun to watch. Like even if he's doing things where he's just like spinning around in the backfield and throwing the ball straight up into the air, it's like, whoa, that was that was exciting. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> look like that so so much, but it's it's. It's fun to have a fun guy to watch. Um, I think that the pairing, you know, if we're gonna go back to, this, I think the pairing suit it, it works well. I think personality wise, I could see them sort of really feeding off of one another. I think the the structure of the team is such that they have done a good job of. I mean, the defense is, you're right, it's its about the strongest I've seen in, in quite some time. They've conti- they have they continued to improve this offseason. They needed a linebacker. They went and got a linebacker. They needed some safety help, some secondary help. They went and got it. Uh, for Fitzpatrick now, mm-hmm. he's got wide receivers to support him when they go out and get Kerr Samuel, and they get Adam Humphreys. I mean, you take Adam Humphreys over like Cam Sims any day of the week. Terry McLaurin... I think he has an opportunity to really put himself in the, I mean, you might laugh. Like I would say a top five situation. I could could see it if that this year and with, with him, you know, the last year or so defense would say, all right, we're going to double this guy. And like, if they can beat us somewhere else, like fine, whatever, like it's not going to happen. And I think a lot of guys stepped up and were more competitive than, other teams would have given him credit for but to be able to like make it so that you can't just circle a guy on in the pregame and sort of as you plan for it and say like all right there's no way we're not giving him contact at the line having safety help over the top like whatever i i think if they can minimize some of the stupid stuff that fitzpatrick from time to time like his brain just like turns off and resets and like you're just like oh my gosh like just cool it bud. um if they can cut that down if the o-line can protect him if they can establish a little bit more of a running presence then he could be good enough to get them to another division championship um if again i'm and i'm very sorry to keep harping on this i would not feel the same way if he were quarterbacking a team that mike mccarthy was was coaching i just think like the you have to have it gel and i think that the what they
1: have has the potential to gel in a way that could see results. So first of all, I think the fact that you're harping on it is like the essence of the NFC's mixtape. Like the whole point is that like, we're all supposed to disagree and, and argue and bicker like this. Um, not that this, this is a lovely conversation, like for yeah. what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, And I agree with you. I think BLG does that Terry McLaurin's ceiling is incredibly high. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly huge fans of him. And I think the the ceiling of the defense is to be the best defense in the NFL. Like that, that is not at all without, um, you know, in, in an impossible place or anything, right. Very much on the table. And so all that being said, when we talked about the draft and, and we went through BLG and I did and kind of graded every draft class, I had Washington as the biggest loser in the sense that like, You have this defense that has that ceiling, and I love the pairing of Curtis Samuel with Terry McLaurin because, like, now you're setting things up perfectly for yourself. And so, like, you mentioned a lot of ifs, and I know you're not like believing that Ryan Fitzpatrick is this if thing, but there are these like if propositions associated with him, like if he's on, if everything's great, if whatever. Why not remove that if? Like, why? I just I feel like it was failure is an aggressive way to put it, but I feel like it was a failure on Washington's part to not go out and and get somebody like the, the time is now if, if there's anything in the NFL that is difficult to sustain year to year it's success on the defensive side of the ball we know that there's a lot of data that proves that and so like it's fair to potentially expect some mild regression on the defensive side of the ball for Washington maybe they're the exception to that maybe their defense remains great so and maybe that's enough maybe that's what Washington's banking on but like was there any level of disappointment and if so like one to ten what was it that Washington just I hate to say settled with Ryan Fitzpatrick cause he is fun and he's really great. And like, maybe it does work out, but it did feel like a settlement when there were other opportunities or other avenues that were at, le- at least worth exploring.
3: The, the craziness in the quarterback market, there was sort of a lot of like, okay, how much of a future are you willing to mortgage to go out and get like Matt Stafford? And at that point, is it worth it to say like, all right, we're looking at a couple of ones and twos for anyone who's viable and available out there. Like, you know, the names that were being thrown out were, were lunacy. I mean, Russell Wilson was not going to be coming to Washington. I, I, I think that if you're looking at draft classes, there was, it's not like a sexy draft class, but they, in my mind, plugged three holes that they needed to plug. They got Jamin Davis in the first round. They needed a linebacker. They got Sam Cosby in the second round. They needed a tackle. And then they like, Got a new long snapper which is something that they needed the rest of it's a wash for me and i didn't want to see them move up and go and get one of these guys at the top of the class i think i will be extremely interested i'm not going to pretend to have any sense of who i think in that group is going to be the standout and who's going to who's going to fall apart, but I can say reasonably sort of based on what I've seen as a football fan, like two of them will be good and the rest will either be mediocre or bad. And like, I, that's not a a really a risk that I think it would have been worth to trade up and go and get one of these rookie guys. Would it have been nice to have seen them go and like be a little bit more aggressive? I mean, I I don't know what the conversations were like in terms of what the asking prices were and whether or not um, guys who had the ability to, um, have some influence in their final destination. Would have wanted to be here. I mean, I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick, for like as sexy a man as he is, he's not like a terribly <laughs> sexy quarterback. To like, you're you're not like winning a big, you know, yeah, winning a Super Bowl. I don't think with mm-hmm. with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But at the same time, it's like you're building something. Are you putting? Do you feel like you're good enough to put all your chips on the table at this point and sell out? And go get a quarterback i don't think they're there no so i don't think i mean would it have been more fun to have seen a guy who you feel a little bit more confident in or has a little bit more of a proven guy where you know sort of like we don't know what the upper bound is because we know how good ryan fitzpatrick can right be. like we know what it is and it's probably it again like a, a, a sir holding serve right so they they are better this year than they will be last year but like it's not a over the top move but i think anything they could have done to go out and do a get them over the top type quarterback to like really say like we're challenging for a championship would have been devastating to this team's ability to compete in other ways currently and like in the near to distant future
2: well let's say washington didn't have to trade up let's say there's a scenario where they lose in week 17 mm. and therefore you know the giants go to the playoffs instead Do you think, and obviously this is hypothetical and, you know, hindsight and whatnot, but do you think it would have been more worth it if Washington didn't win that game uh, and didn't win the NFC East and was in a position there, let's say number 11, you know, where the Giants were on the clock? available to either take justin fields for themselves or if they really wanted to trade down i guess that's an option too but probably more so taking justin fields in that scenario Mm -hmm. um but the question is like was winning the nfc east worth it when you kind of consider those like alternative timelines yeah i think it was worth it i had (laughs) i had
3: i had a a good time watching i mean making a competitive game out of the eventual super bowl champions um i'm also i think in the minority of folks who like have informed opinions about this type of thing that i i really think that um teams are better suited to like let quarterbacks sit for a while when Mm. when they're young um i i routinely and aaron Rodgers is a cherry-picked example but i there are all these quarterbacks where i've been like man if they could just get a couple of years where they could sit and learn or at least not have to have the expectations of like coming in and be the guy immediately the one who i've always felt this way is like sam bradford if he didn't get it if he didn't immediately get thrown to the wolves behind like a nothing offensive line i think he could have had a really productive nfl career if he had been somewhere else i think he could have had a productive nfl career but he was like put in an unwinnable situation right off the get-go so if washington had lost they were in the eleventh spot and they draft justin fields i think there's an expectation then. That you have to start him immediately, and I hate that. I think that you're almost always setting up a guy to to not succeed. Um, Now, Mac Jones may end up being a a guy where that he's the exception to the rule because, like, of the culture and the guys around him, X, Y, and Z. But you know. I Would it feel better if they had a guy in-house that was the sit-and-learn-and-watch kind of guy and still end up with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yeah, that would, I think, be an ideal set of circumstances. And you kind of felt that way a year ago where it's like, well, we have Alex Smith. He could be the the mentor, the guy who's sitting there and teaching Dwayne Haskins, but it just didn't pan out that way, obviously. But I, I think to throw a guy to the wolves or to have him be a week one anticipated starter, the NFL... I don't know, like college isn't the fifth year of high school and the NFL isn't the fifth year of college. If you've played four years, like the the level of compete is so much higher and the speed of the game and the complexity of the game and the athletes are so much better that for a rookie to come in and succeed immediately is so anomalous to me that I think teams are better suited to either draft and develop. Or go out and make a splash and like you have to pay so much in order to like go out and find a guy who can be an impact player immediately. That personally I'm okay with the track that they've taken. I'm not like a Taylor Heineke stan in the way that a lot of people are. (laughs) Thank God. Um, you know, if if he ends up being your project development guy, then so be it. Um I I don't know. Uh, people people around here have gone really crazy for taylor heineke but
1: um that that ain't me right now (laughs) no i think he probably ends up starting games just from the perspective of like people are like the, the ridiculous fervor for him is is higher like that that guy like i hate to call him that character but like that person uh and then he'll start and and he'll be awful and all of the stands will excuse it right like oh well he, he it was a short week like you know he didn't have the bye like it, it'll it just be like that's a thorn in your side forever now brian i'm sorry oh uh,
3: yeah we made we made t- there were like t-shirts of this guy it's like
1: wand <laughs> like
3: oh uh, yeah
1: you're right I mean. um dwayne haskins his name has come up and i always thought it was interesting how uh when he and daniel jones were drafted that there wasn't and. I know we can all kind of live in our own world sometimes uh, within the NFCs, but there wasn't this like national attention given to division rivals getting first round quarterbacks the way it was when Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz were drafted, right? Like from day one, it was like the Dak Wentz like thing. And that never took off with Dwayne and Daniel Jones. Um, What are your thoughts on Daniel? Because we've been somewhat critical. BLG kind of has a soft spot for him um, in a weird way, but like, I think the I know PFF had Jalen Hurts as the thirty first ranked quarterback in the division, and I know BLG is down on him in some capacities, uh, not to upset. Oh, you're, fans. Mis- oh no, no, you're misrepresenting. Sorry, every, sorry. BLG opinion, BLG sir. is extremely honest when it comes to Jalen Hurts, and and the honesty reflects some qualities about his game that aren't that glowing. That being said. I don't think it's crazy, like, if you asked an average East fan for them to say Daniel Jones is the worst quarterback in the division. What are your thoughts on him, on the Giants, on what they've done? Because, like I've said, I think they're by far the worst team in the group.
3: Yeah, I don't think they're good. I think they're, <laughs> I, 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 again, like, nothing earth-shattering here. Um, I, Daniel Jones, I, I, he just doesn't instill confidence. Like when I look at this guy and maybe it's just because I think he looks kind of dopey and I think he kind of looks like Eli, but like he also does some things where just like what were you thinking, dude? Like what on earth was going through your head or like what wasn't going through your head? They they have. They are so um, they have a lot of issues. I mean, that's they they got a lot of things they got to work out. And like, let's say that they're in a situation. We're going to go with a hypothetical where like everything is clicking. And then you're like, OK, is Daniel Jones the guy like, man, I don't I don't know. I don't think he's got it. It just he to me seems like a, a situation where like he gets through a rookie deal and people are just like, well, like it, it's kind of like a darn old thing where it's like, mm. OK, we don't know if he's good yet. And it's like after you're through your rookie deal, you have to know whether or not a guy is worth keeping. If, if you're gonna fail fail fast you know Dwayne has right. like he he fell apart it's like okay well we can wipe our hands of that like it's done daniel jones like i think they're gonna be at the end of that deal and be like okay well what do we do like i don't know their mm, car it worth, it, same thing yep like is it worth keeping him around uh maybe he'll get better it's like if you don't know by the end of that that rookie deal it's like it's not worth your trouble or your time to be the one to find out um now that said, with the Giants, you know they they dealt with a lot. Saquon coming back is going to be a huge question mark in my mind. I mean, it used to be you tear ACL and MCL and like that's it, you're done. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. I mean, we saw a couple of years ago in Washington where Adrian Peterson had this a similar situation, much older, much more mileage on him, and he was able to come back and be you know fairly productive. He was he was not a total bust. Todd Gurley has the same thing, and like he's still. I mean, I don't I don't know if he's on a roster right now. I mean, he and he was as good as it got for a period of time. Um, how he's able to bounce back is gonna be a huge question. When you look at at Jones though, you know, they go out, they do bring in some weapons for him, Kenny Galladay and they got John Ross, but like that unit doesn't still like inspire a ton of confidence from where I sit. I mean, going out and getting like Kelvin Benjamin, who again is kind of a meme in and of itself. Like, did he eat too many? You know, did he eat his way out of the league? It's like, okay, you know, he was dealing with a lot. He was the butt of a lot of jokes. Um, but he hasn't. I mean, he hasn't been on the field in like two years. So, no, I don't think the. I think the Giants are are well on their way to being last in the division. Um, they. Had, it is interesting though that, if we're doing points of comparison here, I, I. If I had to roll my dice, I think I'm going Jalen Hurts over Daniel Jones right now. Me too. Because of like with Daniel Jones, like maybe he does end up turning around and like figuring it out. But I'd rather have a guy where I'm like, well, you know, he's shown some stuff. Let's see what he's got. And I think with Hurts, that's what you have. But with Jones, you're just like, ah, you know, I think they're they're on a crash course for like some big uh, some big decisions that are coming very soon for them.
2: Yeah, I don't I want to make it clear. I do not hate Jalen Hurts by any means. Or, or, the, or I'm, not, I'm not even like out on him or down on him. I'm just saying like if you look at a lot of his numbers last year, they were terrible. Now, you know, what do you make of that? It's a different coaching staff. He was a rookie, a young rookie too, only playing like age 22 season or so. Um, like there's a lot of things that went into that the question in my mind, and this is a whole different topic to something different that we can get into maybe another time, but it's just like, how do you go from being that bad to really good? You know what I mean? Like, I, I think people don't like contextualize that. Uh, okay. Players can get better, but how much better are they really going from being like in an, you know, PFF is in gospel, but are they going from like being in the conversation in my mind, regardless of what PFF says to being one of the worst starters in the league to being like a top tier starter. Like that's a lot to ask. So Maybe he can do it. I don't know. I, I like his work ethic and everything. Um, I think I don't have a soft spot for Daniel Jones in that like, <laughs> I'm not in on him. I just, I can see sometimes that he has talent. I think he does legitimately. Like, I don't think it was a total. I think the Giants taking him as high as they did was silly, but there are flashes when I see like why they did it. Like, okay, I can see that they see like some level of talent here, but the fumbles are an issue. The turnover are an issue. I'm like not really in on him. And I think as we've talked about here, the Giants making that trade down which they did in this draft is huge because they can pivot away from him now in the future. And that gives them like a lot of flexibility. And I'm terrified of them ending up with Russell Wilson instead of Daniel Jones as soon as next year. Um, But Brian, I wanted to ask you about a former Washington football team player. uh, One who pretty prolific uh, leads your franchise or your favorite franchise in sacks there. Now a member of the Philadelphia Eagles, Brian Kerrigan signing with the enemy earlier this week. How do you feel about it? I saw that. I was like, oof, that's that's a, that's a tough one. I mean,
3: Kerrigan, he's sort of getting towards the tail end here, right, of his fully productive years. But I think he's got something left in the tank. And he's one of those kind of, like, intangible guys where it's like any yeah. team that has him is better off because he's there. Regardless of whether or not he's out there and playing uh, every down, whether or not he's, like, an... Uh, summed down kind of guy, but just like having him in the room, having him be like a culture guy, like he's the type of player that there isn't a team in the league who isn't in some way better off for Ryan Kerrigan being there. I think there was some hope around here that they may be able to work something out just to like have him back and even even devoid of um, like the emotion tied to him. Like he's, you know, he's he'll be in the ring of honor and he's one of these few guys from the last 15 or so years that will have earned it. There's this interesting, I've always kind of in my head, there's this like um, like a Venn diagram of guys who were good in Washington who were also not problematic and then left gracefully. And the <laughs> middle part of that Venn diagram is very small. Like they're not a lot of names. And I think you can put him there Um, more often than not, either like a guy was problematic and then like now is on as like a broadcaster for them and I'm not going to name names or he (laughs) was really good. And then, you know, accused the team of, of, of medical negligence. And now, you know, and like, so there are a lot of like blowups. I mean, Alex Smith, for God's sakes, like he couldn't leave town gracefully and he's just like a competitor and like clearly just a bit of a lunatic because who, who does what he did? Uh, for better, or for worse, but Carrigan, I mean, like, I didn't want to have to see him. I wanted to go, like, play in the AFC West. So I just, like, I, I just didn't want to have. I wanted him to succeed, and I wanted him to do it somewhere else. That's like not the NFC East. But you know, if if he can, if he can play, then good for him. Um, I wish him nothing but the best. And there are not a lot of guys who you can say that who leave Washington, where it's like, yeah, okay, like we we love you, buddy. Like,
2: go get him slugger um i just really wish it was not in philadelphia frankly so i was actually reading hogshaven and i saw i believe it was scott jennings who wrote that like the eagles are like the worst case scenario like if he could go to like like, i guess for some people he thought like dallas would be the worst case so i want to ask you like let's say ryan kerrigan can only sign with the washington's nfc East rivals like those are somehow his only three options this offseason where the eagles are the most painful spot or would it be another team for you
3: no it's it's philadelphia <laughs>
2: I, I, uh
3: and you know the the division maybe not the cowboys so much in this group but i feel like new york and philly and washington's kind of have like a there's like an incestuous thing there or like there's a little bit of shuffling I and mean, i think like ryan sure. Mitchell and Deshaun Jackson and now Ryan Kerrigan. I mean Ryan Anderson. I guess I suppose does go to Dallas. So there's Donovan McNabb. There. Donovan McNabb. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I I just like didn't <laughs> want him there. But it's like okay, if he can succeed, then I'll be really happy for him. But like, I really don't want him to have to like. I I don't want him to be the difference maker. It's gonna hurt to see uh, him suiting up in in green for sure.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean kudos to the Cowboys for being creative enough to feel their own roster and not have to recycle through the divisions, you know, cast offs, whatever, told different subject. That's fine. Hey man, um, you got Jeremy Sprinkle. So uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Um, I, I have a question on Ryan Kerrigan. Is he maybe in your lifetime, maybe you want to expand this beyond that. Uh, if you want to speak like on behalf of like the earth's lifetime, maybe, um, or the galaxies, I suppose. Um, okay. Is, is he the most trapped player? By the franchise in that like BLG, I know, um, believes he has like Hall of Fame candidacy potential. Like, yeah. he, he has been an, an an elite player that hasn't amazingly, it's difficult to be an elite player in a market like this and not get a lot of national attention, but that has happened to him. Um, and he, he's been an elite player that hasn't been on teams that have had a lot of success, and I think the successes that they've had have come under some weird circumstances. Uh, like 2015, Tony Romo gets hurt, and that, that division title is kind of weird. Obviously, last season, the NFC East as a whole is super down, so everybody kind of pooh poos it. Like, has he been the player most trapped by the organization's failures in a football sense only? Hmm, that's a really good question.
3: Thank um, you. He's up there for sure.
1: Who else is up there then for you? London Fletcher. That's a good one. Yeah. Good call. I was
3: thinking uh, of that. Yeah. Um I, well, until this year Washington didn't have an like a first team all-pro player since the middle of the 90s like Matt Turk who punted <laughs> for them was an all-pro punter in the 90s and they haven't had a first team all-pro since then. I think some of it no. definitely um there's like if you want to call it some stink like maybe there's some stink. I you know people around here they love being like, well, you know, they there's no respect for this team. Like people don't people don't respect Washington. It's like, well, you know, respect is is earned. Um, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, they that's a really, that's been, a really nice way to say that. <sighs> yeah, like they haven't been very good for for a pretty long time. Um, yeah, Kerrigan is is I think underrated, and uh, you know, it's actually funny. They were doing some. They, this is a, several years ago at this point. They did this promo where. He, it was i think for modell's sporting goods where they had kerrigan go and like wear a modell's sporting you know like a like he was working there and he was like a sales associate and like was walking around and like trying to get people to buy ryan kerrigan jerseys and nobody recognized him except for like the last but, like he, he he was walking around and i was like oh yeah this that kerrigan guy he's pretty good like what do you think of him he's like oh yeah he's pretty good like he's pretty good for and is like yeah you think you know (laughs) so it's not even just like everywhere I mean it's easy to the the number of storylines that are going on in the NFL at any given time are like five or six I feel or at least the ones that get play and so when you're good but productive but quiet and like a guy who produces but like isn't so flashy and he's just like there he's kind of a like a lunch pail guy um, you know you're just not going to get that much attention and I I don't know that I had fully considered Ryan Kerrigan as like a hall of fame kind of guy. I think of him certainly mm. as like a Washington, like a, a great. Like he'll be he's in this generation um at or near the top. But you know, it's tricky. Like he's he's not like gonna he's not making jack. I don't think I don't think they do jacked up anymore because it's you know, <laughs> like not. But you know, he he's a productive player who the stats are there but just like doesn't do it in a way that draws a lot of eyeballs. So, you know, he's he's loved here when people are able to recognize him within context, but um you know, it's it's tricky, for sure.
2: Uh, why don't you give me your NFC's predictions this season, order of teams? First, well, to I last.
3: guess they can't all end up at 8 and 8 anymore, which is the <laughs> you know, there's there's like no more feng shui with the 6. Well,
2: Jason you Garrett's super
1: pissed about that, by the way. Um, you say I only, that,
2: but I, uh, I actually have every team going uh, eight and nine in the division, except Washington, which I had nine and eight. But please continue. What do I think? Gosh, I
3: think that. Washington does right now on paper. I think Washington does win the division, but it's like not by a lot. Like it's going to be really close again. I like not to go chalk or at least to, you know, parachute here, but I think it's going to be really tight. Then I probably have Dallas because I do think that there's some amount of like reverting to the mean. I think Zeke cannot play as poorly as he did last year. It just can't happen. I think he's going to get better. I think Dak being back even at, let's say it's seventy or eighty uh, percent, they immediately take a step up, and then Philadelphia really, you know, they they're going through a lot. I think some of it self-inflicted, a lot of it self-inflicted, but they're going to be close. And then I I think I I rate the Giants like fairly low. Like I think if they win six games next year I would consider that to be a successful season for them because I really I really don't feel high on them in any sense
1: yeah I think they're winning like three games which which wow. makes all their you know hooting and hawing about wanting the Eagles week one for some sort of revenge is so stupid um I'll ask you both this um Brian you're the guest you go first oh, okay. is are the Giants looking for a new head coach next year if, if we're all right, like if, if we're all right in the sense that the Giants have, I, I don't even think we can call it an implosion because like they, they were bad last year. But if, if they're really bad again and not saved by the fact that the NFC East is within reach because it's so bad, but they're just a normal bad football team, could they potentially move on from him? Or is the narrative too bad because of how many coaches they've moved on from as of late after Tom Coughlin?
3: Yeah, it's funny because when I think about the Giants, you know, they love to project this, like, we're really classy, like it's a steady hand organization. We're not subject to like obviously we're dealing with like the most rabid media market in the country, but like we still like we're we're above all of it. And I think that's you know, like that's there's some amount of fantasy involved there. I think if they are really bad, like if they are between if they're sub sub six, sub six wins um yeah i think they're probably going in another direction i have a hard time imagining it you know how many times can you do the same thing in a row before you just say like this is total lunacy like we have to find another go at this if we're going to try and make it work um i i think it's not outside of the realm of possibility that if if they go below six wins that they're in the market
2: I think you guys are crazy. There would be three years left on Joe Judge's deal if they fire him after this season. They, they don't care That's significant. That. Teams don't pay coaches with three years left on their deal. Who fired someone with three years left on their deal? Like, regularly. That that doesn't happen. Owners don't want to do that. Uh, I think Gettleman, obviously, would be the first to go, if anyone. Although, I, I kind of wonder about his job security because that trade down just seems like that's not the move that a GM who needs to win this year at all costs makes, right? Like, it's just not. Like, it doesn't seem. I mean, maybe he's... Like a fool, which is, yes, very true. And he doesn't realize his own lack of job security, but maybe he is more secure than we think. Um, I think if the Giants are looking for a head coach, though, I mean, there's always a former Cowboys coach option available. Oh,
1: that's happening.
2: And, that's and 100% it's the not next Jason head coach. Garrett, that- it's Mike McCarthy because Mike McCarthy will be fired before Joe Judge is fired.
1: Oh, see, I thought you were going to go in the direction of after the Cowboys have an incredible season, Dan Quinn is back in the head coaching ranks because of the great defense the Cowboys had in 2021. You don't um, believe
2: that? You don't even believe that?
1: I actually, <laughs> my my sneaky uh, prediction. Um, we have another podcast on the Esplanation NFL Show, Brian, that I was on. Uh, it, it comes out tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, it's called The Look Ahead, and I had a prediction of sorts that Mike Zimmer could be one of the first head coaches moved on from this coming Ooh. season, like. I could see that I, I could see Mike Zimmer as the new head coach of the, of the giants. And I think to your point, BLG, like, you know, Joe, Judge's contract, whatever, but the giants do have two first round picks next year already. Like, if, and if they're going to move on from Daniel Jones, as we've kind of discussed, or maybe like take the first step in that, like that would be the time to do so, uh, to quote Jeff Probst. I mean, like, it, it's, you know, you, you only, like, the stars only align in, in like team building capacities, like, at certain times, and you have to take advantage of it. Um, but at the very least, like, I'm glad we all agree that they're going to be really bad. Like, there's, there is
2: this level of unity here, which is nice to see. I don't agree that's going to be really bad. I didn't, I said they're <laughs> eight and nine. They're going to be a little bit better than, last year but still not good i think they're gonna be really bad but. okay yeah you guys do that's fine uh
1: brian my last question for you is and blg and i talked about it last week when we recapped the schedules um what are your thoughts on finishing with five straight divisional games
3: i mean i i for like it being compelling i love it i mean i'm it's gonna if i had hair to lose i would definitely lose some <laughs> like, over the course of those that stretch um i'm really excited to see how that plays out like i love the I mean I'm a big fan of the like division teams play each other in the last week of the season. Um it's it's going to be more fun because you can't make sort of these these grand and sweeping generalizations or estimations until you've seen uh your team play against divisional teams and like knowing that it's going to happen stacked weeks 14 through uh through 18 you know, means that there's going to be a lot more question marks going into there, but I, I think it makes it extremely compelling. Um, you know, like, what what do you take from, you know, seeing your team play AFC West? Teams? Right. It's a different style. And I know I know every division's like, oh, yeah, we're like the grind it out, whatever. But the NFC, NFC East is like definitely a... <laughs> they, they sort of have taken that ethos and embodied it To the point where sometimes it's like, oh, my God, if they run another dive on third and six, I'm going to turn the television off. But like, I I think stacking those at the end of the season is going to be really fun, if if nothing
1: else sure uh the nfc is the only division to have four super bowl champions congrats that's to the right. eagles for finally arriving late to the party right. as usual uh but uh well that's a good note to end on brian stabby from hogshaven thanks so much for taking the time to join the nfc east mixtape uh very excited to see this divisional race unfold i'm sure we'll talk to you again uh throughout the season appreciate it man thanks a lot have a good one yeah thank you